Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources, where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. The Taliban races through Afghanistan as U.S. troops withdraw, taking over another province today, making it six provinces over just the past four days alone. Many people are concerned about what happens next for those in the Afghan government uh, and the regular Afghanis, men, women, and children. We've talked on this program about those who were helpful to the U.S. in terms of interpreters, guides, and contractors, and making sure we take care of them. But what do we do and what do we need to be doing? What are the questions that we need to be asking as U.S. and NATO troops leave the area? Uh, we're going to our inside source on this, Miles Hansen, who, of course, is the president and CEO of World Trade Center Utah. Uh, of course, the organization of World Trade Center Utah is dedicated to promoting prosperity across the state, attracting investment, increasing exports. Uh, but you also need to know uh, that Miles uh, really gets the region. Uh, he was the director of Gulf Affairs at the National Security Council in the White House. He was a staff aide in the State Department uh, and a host of other things. He gets the region in a unique way, and he joins us on the line now. On the line now, uh, Miles, thanks for uh, jumping on with us today. Hey, Boyd. As always, it's good to be on. So how should we be looking and what should we be thinking as we watch uh, this play out in Afghanistan where the Taliban really seems to be kind of sprinting across the country and uh, reestablishing themselves in some uh, the area today uh, was really described as the breadbasket of Afghanistan? Yes, you know, Boyd, we've, we've talked Afghanistan uh, multiple times over the past few months. And in each conversation, I started off with, with one key point and the big question we have to ask ourselves. The first big point is, is there's a temptation to, to treat what's happening in Afghanistan with a partisan lens. Mm. I think it's important to remember that President Trump initially set the date by which we'd end our combat role in Afghanistan uh, last year, and that's a policy that President Biden is continuing. And I think a lot of people looked and said 20 years, $2 trillion, uh, 2,400 servicemen uh, lost their lives and over 20,000 wounded, and it was time to end uh, the combat role. But the second point we've always talked about is how we do that is absolutely essential. And what we've seen over the past few months since this policy was, was announced is that there doesn't seem to be a real coherent strategy in an effort to use all the other tools at our disposal as uh, a U.S. government uh, to try to manage this withdrawal. But instead, there, there, there seems to be some confusion and some vacuum, and, and the Taliban are absolutely feeling that uh, every day, and especially when that's accelerating over the past week. Yeah, I think as you look at that uh, confusion uh, rather than clarity, I think is exactly what the uh, the Taliban thrives on, uh, yep. and especially as it relates to the U.S. and to NATO and to other partners in the region. Uh, you mentioned that the key to this thing is is how we do this, and then making sure that there actually is a strategy uh, to to go along with it, and that isn't a partisan thing. Yep, no, that's exactly right. And, Boyd, I was back in Washington, D.C. a few weeks ago and had the opportunity 
to spend some time with some current administration officials and some recent ones, as well as with several of our partners in the region, you know, their ambassadors that are, that are uh, you know, deeply involved in the region. And the consistent message was that there just wasn't, didn't seem to be a real coherent strategy about how the United States was going to manage this. Our partners in the region, all of whom have a vested interest in Afghanistan and are willing to, to, to step in to help uh, support, to try to, to support the Afghan government and to, you know, shoulder some of the burden of trying to manage uh, our support to our partners there in Afghanistan, even as we end the combat role. And, and a lot of them, you know, hadn't been consultant, hadn't consulted, hadn't been brought into the process and didn't know exactly what it was the United States wanted from them, which I just think is, is so unfortunate because, like we've talked about previously, uh, it's, it's important for listeners, listeners to recognize that even though we're, we're ending our combat role, we still have several other very uh, effective and powerful tools at our disposal to help pre- to try to prevent the Taliban from taking over. There's opportunities to do intelligence work and, and to share that with Afghan government. You know, obviously humanitarian and economic uh, aid and support could continue. Uh, covert operations uh, to run uh, counterterrorism operations in particular as necessary. And this diplomatic piece is so important. Where you've got countries like Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, India, you know, our Gulf, our GCC partners, uh, none of whom want to see the Taliban uh, overrun uh, the country. But from what I've gathered, it doesn't seem like those tools are being uh, utilized in a coordinated fashion. And the result is this confusion that, that we see the Taliban uh, really capturing on or benefiting from as they uh, expand their influence in the country. Yeah, and I do think uh, really understanding what what are all of those tools that are at our disposal beyond just the direct military presence. I, I do think everyone has been a little fatigued over two decades and uh, as you mentioned uh, treasure and time and of course the loss of life 20,000 uh, wounded as you mentioned uh, and so looking at some of those tools in the tool chest uh, in terms of diplomatic efforts and economic efforts uh, what are the things that we should be thinking about uh, again it's so hard not to want to rush back in or to help we, we look at uh, the UNICEF report which came out just over the last few days just in, in the number of casualties among children uh, that seem to be escalating yeah. as the violent moves along how do we how do we balance all this what's the what's the right tools that to start applying to get that clarity that you're talking about you know before we made the announcement a few months ago there should have been uh, many high-level coordinated meetings with our partners in the region the countries that I, I referred to the, the countries around Afghanistan or other partners in the Gulf region to try to figure out, okay, with the United States, you know, at the end of the day, we've got 2,500 servicemen and women there in Afghanistan, right? taking that to zero, right? It, it, that is uh, relative to the entire international involvement in Afghanistan. It is pretty small. But before the announcement was made, uh, there could have been some high-level meetings to coordinate what this withdrawal would look like, how others in the region with more at stake in Afghanistan than we do here in the United States, what they were going to do to step up and how we could support them in that effort. Um, and then once they've got a, a coordinated plan in place, then keeping the partners uh, closely uh, coordinating as we go and execute this, this joint plan would have been an approach that I think could have been more stable, created less confusion. But instead, you know, we, we saw the reports a few weeks ago where we left, left Bagram Air Base, which is one of the largest military installations outside of, of the United States. We left in the middle of the night. And, and some of our key Afghan partners didn't even know that we were going to leave on that particular night, which shows that that's not exactly this well-thought-out, highly-coordinated uh, joint effort 
that, that, that should, could have been done and should have been done to try to give our Afghan partners who have worked with us for, for so many years the highest chance of succeeding um, as the Taliban are, are, you know, working to try to exert the control over the country. Yeah, and I think that uh, kind of circles back to this whole concept of you've got to have a certain trumpet. You have to have a very clear message. You talk about the confusion, and, and obviously there's confusion amongst the allies. I think the also the confusion for the Afghan people of, you know, the U.S. leaving in the middle of the night from this air base, uh, and that uncertainty really emboldens uh, the Taliban to say, oh, hey, we, you know, we, we can just storm on through. Uh, and I love the way you framed it in, in terms of it. This is not a left or right Democrat or Republican issue, uh, but we've got to have very certain messages and a very clear strategy uh, if we're going to give our, ourselves and our allies the best option. And then the Afghan people being in a position of strength, knowing what's going on and what comes next, uh, they would be better able to uh, to defend themselves and to move their country forward in the way that they choose. Yeah, that's exactly right. You look at, you know, the Taliban still, particularly in the north, where they've had a lot of success over the past four days, they do not have popular support. But in the absence of leadership, a strong coalition of, of, of people articulating to the Afghan people what is going to be done to help support the Afghan government, the vast majority of the people, they say, Here's, there's a vacuum in place. You know, the, the Taliban are rolling in. They're heavily armed. They've got a clear uh, intention and, and purpose. And so those people stay on the sidelines. Yeah. And, and it's out of fear and a lack of confidence. And as those are things that, that I think that from the U.S. perspective, we could have done a better job over the past few months of projecting that confidence and that support for the Afghan government and doing it with other countries in the region, they, they have a better, you know, cultural, religious, uh, linguistic uh, expertise and more at stake in Afghanistan and therefore be more uh, willing to commit time and energy to try to support uh, the good people of Afghanistan in the struggle against the Taliban. Yeah. Miles Hansen, president and CEO of World Trade Center Utah. Always pre- appreciate your perspective, appreciate your leadership in our community as well. Thanks, Boyd. You have a great day. All right, we're going to go ahead and step aside for one last commercial break. When we come back, we're going to wrap up a few final thoughts from the Olympic Games and things that we can carry forward, including an extraordinary moment with the rugby team, gold medal winning rugby team from Fiji. Find out about that coming up next. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.